Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 30. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Doing another, good. Another week. Okay. And this was a little bit of an exciting week for developers, at least for a few that were lucky enough to get their Apple TV dev kit early access, which is kind of a new thing for Apple. Well, new and old. It's yeah, they they did it before with the iMac or the Intel Macs. I don't think they were free though. I think no, we looked at yeah. So, uh, sorry, a dollar seven it cost for us in the United <laughs> States. Yeah. So the the story is that Apple was going to give them out at WWDC. They didn't have anything to announce, and those things were just kind of sitting around. So it's either chuck them out the door or give them away. But that's some that's conjecture. I have seen pictures of other people on Twitter that uh they have clearly like designed as developer kit uh, packaging where it says as not yet seen on TV <laughs> on the side, which I thought was amusing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think the dev kit comes with the USB-C cable to connect to the computer, where I think the final version probably won't include that. Yeah, I believe you're correct there. And and it's kind of obvious because it's not the the traditional Apple white connector cable. It's a black connector cable. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. So it kind of stands out. It's like, like a cheap knockoff cable <laughs> as opposed to an apple branded one. Oh, I thought there was I thought I saw a picture of a white cable. Uh there's a lightning cable. It comes with a the, lightning cable for the remote. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so, then there's the the USB-C cable that yeah. I'm sure everyone else has tons of sitting around at home. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. Yeah. So you two have received yours. Mine is still in the mail. Sounds correct. Yeah. <laughs> Although we're just we're just reporting this from pictures we've seen on Twitter. We're not breaking any NDAs or anything like that. So, <laughs> right. Well, there's we'll we'll skirt around the NDA stuff. No reviewing it. Nobody says you love it or you hate it. It just is. Yeah. No screenshots. So. Yep. I'm. Mm-hmm. I've been messing around with some development. I want to do some more. I, th- I think it's pretty clear that Apple wants to have some good, high-quality apps mm-hmm. on launch day. And, you know, with the Apple TV or the Apple Watch and the iPad, when those first came out, we didn't have physical devices to test on. And I think, you know, the the first round of apps were somewhat bumpy because of that. And they're, with this approach, there should be much higher quality apps on day one. Less of the the real world surprises. Yeah, and they don't have to play a lot of favorites either. Yeah, we would all be kind of pissed if the only people that had apps on day one were Netflix and Hulu and whatnot. Yeah, there clearly were developers that had who've had access for a while and have a huge head start. Right, but still pretty good for the, the little guy. Yeah. 
Nope. There's not a lot of time between now and when they actually ship, but there's time to do some interesting things. It's over a month. What are you talking about? <laughs> As we yeah. record, late October is when they're supposed to come out, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's not a lot of time if you do this as a part-time gig, but if you and a few others are going at this thing full-time, then I'm sure you can knock something out. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of the existing games, certainly not all of them, but a decent number can be ported without too much trouble. Um, Although you would you would be surprised how much like of the APIs that are not there are used as for example in my apps like we've got WebKit in certain places and I don't know I don't really feel like rewriting all the stuff that's in just uses WebKit to display right now so I don't know if it'll be a full time thing for me I'm sure it will <laughs> for others but yeah well and like the whole touch interface like even the the sample app the the game template that ships with Xcode seven one the touch interface doesn't give you a position so everything ends up in the center so you know that whole interaction model is is different and I, i'm sure there's a lot of apps that are going to struggle with that a bit yeah and another thing i've heard is you basically have you could use the touch surface as a d-pad and then you basically get one other button to do anything and even the original nintendo had an A and B button. So it's kind of limiting and your game has to be, uh, has to work with the remote. It, it can't just rely on a controller. Yeah. I think that was a question we had before. And I think there's rumors that at one point they were going to allow game controller only games. Um, but as of when they released SDK, there's a bunch of documentation that, you know, clearly says uh, you must support, Every all the content in your app uh, with with a Siri controller, I think is what they're calling it technically. So there won't be those game controller only games. And I guess to me that really means that they're not targeting people who are making games that would be on the PS4 or Xbox One. They're they're targeting <laughs> the casual games that they right. they have on iOS. Yeah, which I think makes sense from Apple's standpoint. Although it was kind of odd, they announced some like. Games that are are in consoles, like uh, Disney Infinity. I'm not even sure how that's going to work with the with the Apple remote, the Siri remote. So I'm kind of confused on that. Is the Disney Infinity? Is that like the one where you buy the little plastic characters and and you uh, get to use them inside of a game? Yep, that's that's the one. Although it, I mean, it has like three or four buttons that you need to have mapped and there's the analog stick and there's other stuff that you have to select. So I'm not sure how that's going to work on Apple TV. Hmm. Yeah. It would be kind of sad to see just a whole bunch of runner games on the Apple TV. Yeah. I think it's going to, in a lot of ways, going to be things that have worked well on the Wii are going to yeah. work well on the Apple TV because there is the accelerometer motion sensors in the in the Siri remote as well uh, so you can get that same kind of gameplay although honestly like most of the people who are detractors of the Wii 
really hated what they called the waggle controls, which were the things that use the accelerometer just tell that you like move waggled your hand like in a specific direction. Uh, and there's no like pointing at the TV functionality where you can right. see where you're pointing. It's just an accelerometer like your phone has, which yeah. I guess is the reason they did that is because you can have all these other phones as remotes for the multiplayer stuff. They demoed a bunch during the keynote. Yeah, so there's no precision pointing. Right. There's the focus engine that lets you switch between different views on the screen that have focus or controls that have focus. But you can't precision point. So we're not probably not going to see something like Clash of Clans on the Apple TV. <laughs> I don't see that as a bad thing. Or StarCraft or anything like that. I'm sure there's going to be other games that are monetized like Clash of Clans, Sam. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be plenty of games to to steal all your money. But So I haven't seen any discussion of it, but I'm, I'm curious. Are there going to be ad-supported games on the Apple TV? You know, Is there any any position from Apple's standpoint on whether or not ads are allowed? I mean... They've had Hulu on the Apple TV forever, and that has ads in it. And, yeah, I gotta imagine ads are allowed. Uh, the iAt SDK is one that is not um, in the Apple TV OS uh, frameworks, so you will not be getting ads from Apple. Um, and there's not any third-party ad agencies yet that I've seen that have like a, just an SDK you can throw in and show like video ads or something like that. Yeah. And Part of that, I, I guess, goes back to the fact that it's all um, WebKit-based, or most ads on iOS today are. That's, I mean, all of our SDKs that we use in our apps, at some level, get down to throwing a web view up there and just rendering whatever content comes back from whoever bids on that ad inventory. Yeah. We should expect to see mostly paid apps initially until people, until some of these SDKs get developed to work around the, the lack of WebKit. I, I still think we're going to see the the freemium in-app purchase games, Yeah, especially the ones that can just straight up be ported. I mean... Well, you still have TVML, and that can be served up from a web server. Yeah, that that you can bring probably bring in ad content without too much trouble. Oh, yeah, I've got a feeling that's what, like, all the current, like video based apps are going to be is just just that and like they have their own like deals with all the the ad networks although i mean even hulu you would think would have the most mature uh kind of ad offering of any of the or at least one of the most mature ad offerings i mean you watch hulu and you see the same five ads all the time yeah <laughs> well they they do the interstitial ads which yeah can be more effective, but they now, interestingly enough, they now have the ad-free subscription plan. Yeah, they did just announce that. Like, I don't know if there's any... Right around the time the Apple TV came out, they, like, yeah. hit it away there. <laughs> yeah, hmm. I don't know if there's any uh, correlation there, but... Well, you pay a couple more bucks a month. Yeah, it's about... I'm tempted to do it. It's about $4 <laughs> a month. Yeah. But, you know, especially as we get into uh, campaign season, yeah. It might be worth it. Yeah. That's... Very true. Ads can be a very miserable, miserable thing. 
<laughs> you need a content blocker. Yeah. Well, that's what not having WebKit is for <laughs> for uh, for tvOS. But I mean, just as someone who has uh, apps in their native app, uh, I mean, it's we get all kinds of horrible things that these these ad people try to do just within the confines of a, a UI web view or even a WK web view sometimes. Uh, like, they'll find out ways to crash your app, maybe not intentionally. I mean, they do all kinds of stuff where they make it so you can't close it and then you have to tap to continue when that's not how they're supposed to work. So for the most part, you know, it seems like uh, ads as they are today, especially like on the mobile web, have made people miserable. And I guess that's why Apple uh, came out with content blockers for iOS 9. It's kind of been a little bit of a hubbub around that recently, I'd say. Well, it, it's one of those features that probably didn't get a lot of talk, but it's a lot of the content blocker apps rose to the top of the charts pretty quickly in terms of top sales. Top paid apps. Yeah, one in particular rose up pretty fast and flamed out the next day. Uh, Peace by Marco Arment, who also does Overcast. Yeah, but flamed out not because the app didn't do well. It did extremely well. People seemed to like it, but uh, there was a lot of backlash about all the internet content providers and how they make a living through ads. And Mark Arment decided to pull the app because of the impact of that. Yeah, it was kind of reminiscent to uh, when Flappy Bird got pulled, however long ago that was. Uh, but yeah, he just couldn't handle all, all the stuff coming at him about it. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think that, you know, you would have come down like on one side. Yeah, I think that these things should be here or not. And it's weird because he, he has said that he's going to continue to use ad blockers, <laughs> uh, but he just doesn't want to be the one selling them. I guess it's a fine line there. Who knows? Maybe he got offered a big check to pull the app. <laughs> There's a conspiracy. Against. Yeah. R rumor started here. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I think I've heard that rumor elsewhere. I think it's probably a bunch of baloney. Yeah. But you know, the, the, upside to these content blockers is that they in theory will speed up page rendering uh, make your browsing experience faster better safer you know a lot of these ads will actually track you on the web even if you put on your do not track options in safari so arguably you know some of some of these ad providers are bad actors and and these content blockers make browsing experience better. But there are some legitimate content providers that provide great content that deserve to make a living as well. Yeah, but unfortunately, you, I mean, there are good ad networks, and then there are a whole lot of other ones that just spoil it for everybody. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. Yeah, a lot of, like, arguably legitimate news sites have these fairly heavy linked bait ads and a lot of times it's very repetitive and they provide a very provocative you know image or title to try and get you to click through and who knows if the content's even relevant or not 
you know, they're just trying to get you to, to click through. Um, so it often ruins the, the browsing experience. Yeah. I, I, and the ads I, don't add value. No. There are relevant ads and then there's the ads that we see on a lot of these sites. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is, is I can tell you just from, you know, having apps in my ads, not that they're web ads, uh, but I mean, the, the content providers really have no control over the content of some of them. Now they do have control over like what the placement is. So when you go to like imore.com and they have, or the verge where they have these giant ads that like block the whole screen. And when you try to scroll, it like screws things up. So you can't do it. Part of that's them, but part of that, like they can't control. It's, it's really horrible. And I think that's probably part of the reason why, Apple introduced the content blockers, although it is kind of the kind of interesting thing there is that like I think over like half of the or about half of all of the ad revenue on the web goes through Google, so that's an interesting coincidence. <laughs> uh, Something else I I found interesting with iOS nine after installing one of the content blockers is that you know that the blockers work strictly in Safari. So uh, now with the new news app from Apple, you get all these news articles <laughs> right on your home screen and you click into one of those articles and most of the time you're, you're seeing ads throughout those articles. So those ads don't get blocked. Yeah, they also, they also work in Safari view controllers. So if you're like a Twitter client or something and you pop off links in that, the ad blockers will work there. But yeah, there does seem kind of like a conflict of interest there where all the native ads can't be blocked uh like apples so it's kind of kind of fishy but they don't have a monopoly or anything so there's not really much they can do i mean i assume content blockers can do more than just block ads i mean can they be used to to do other things are there other use cases yeah so there, it's it's actually i've looked into them a little bit they're surprisingly uh simple beasts it's it's basically you uh, write an app and you say, here's this JSON file, and that's all you do. There's a, That's your content blocker. So uh, you can basically either apply like a CSS display none to certain things, uh, which will just kind of make things disappear, but they, a lot of stuff still gets loaded, or you can completely block certain things from from being loaded at all. So um, you you can say, okay, let's block comments from a website. If you have a good, like, regular expression that can figure out what they are, you can just say this specific place where ads are on this website, don't don't show the ad. Uh, it's And you can kind of apply fine-grained details to, like, whitelist certain websites or only block certain websites and, and stuff like that, but, like, Actually, building an app for it is, is super simple. Like I said, you just basically make a JSON file that configures all that stuff that I just said, and like, could you, boom. Could you have like a certain word list that you want to block within an app? Let's say you're building, you want to make uh, web searching safer for kids, and you want to block certain words or replace certain words <laughs> with yeah. You, you could say like versions. You could say like all divs that have this regular expression that matches, you know, all those words that you want to block, 
CSS display none, and that that'll do that. Does it have to be a regular expression, or can you does? So, well, let, let's back up a little bit. You provide okay. you provide an app, right? Yep. And the app does it have an extension built into it? That's yeah, Safari it's an extension. Okay. Yeah, so so basically, Safari, you have to tell it to trigger the extension, and then Safari will compile that JSON file into something that's more efficient. And then all the time, every time it loads a page, it it applies those rules. So you don't have any access to any of the pages that are viewed in Safari, which is is nice from a privacy standpoint for users. Right. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the gist of how it works. Okay, so you're not you're maybe like creating some regexes or CSS selectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's reading. It's Safari just says, "Hey, app extension, give me some JSON," and then that's it, right? Yeah, you say here's some JSON for you uh, when when you're ready to give it some, and you can like have it update in the background and get new JSON. And there's actually a couple of services where a lot of the ad blockers get their stuff from. There's there's one that's kind of like this open source, like report ads to this place, uh, and then they kind of compile everything on this website and then provide a list of rules that other people can use. So I think that's what like uh, Crystal and I think the other ad blocker that was in the up in the top two or three was using. And then uh, for Peace, Marco Armit did a basically licensed uh, the rules that Ghostery uses, which is a desktop ad blocker. Um, and he, he had to kind of convert the rules into that JSON format. But it's a, I, I'm guessing it was a fairly straightforward conversion and then whenever those change you can just trigger a background update and then say yep here's some new json uh for the for safari and it compiles it into a special format and then uses it whenever you view web pages okay so pretty simple pretty cool yeah just think if you were the the one who had been like oh this looks like a super simple api I'll build this app. I'll get. I'll pull this feed down from this open source thing that's already there, and you could have been like top two or three in in paid apps. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it'd be a cool place to be in. Like, it part part of me wonders if if this has been Marco Arment's like most successful app yet. I don't think he's ever been in the top ten, right? he was tweeting about that how nice it was to be up there yeah that's top 10 paid apps i believe yeah and he's done pretty he's done pretty well with overcast and uh instapaper although being in the top paid has probably gotten less and less lucrative as the years have gone on compared to what it was in the early days of the app store but i've got to imagine like you know being up there in the top two or three yeah he was number one for at least one day. Yeah. I got to imagine that's pulling in like at least six or seven figures a day, which sounds pretty good to me. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> hey, <I'm laughs> Maybe <taking>. even more. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the price he had on it. It was like two or three dollars. Yeah. Was, 
not 99 cents, but I think it was under five. Yeah. Sounds about right. And depending on what his licensing costs were for that ghostery, mm-hmm. he could have done pretty well. Well, and he, like when he posted his blog post, he had multiple links to, funnily enough, uh, a website with a bunch of ads on it to <laughs> to tell you how to get a refund. I think he may have felt bad for them, uh, you know, from from whatever happened there. But like, I paid for the app and I haven't gone to get a refund yet. I don't know if you guys either paid for it or have tried to get a refund. But I've got I've got to imagine he's still banking on it i did not pay for it i didn't buy it um i was going to buy it i I missed it right he pulled it right before i was able to buy it yeah and i don't know like how good the ghost read data is compared to the other stuff but all those people that spent three dollars on that app they now have something that, unless they apply for a refund, is you know, dead end. It's abandonware. Yeah, basically. Well, he, he said it would work for a while. Sure. So I'm assuming that means he's not killing his transformation of the ghostery feed, and ghostery is going to continue to update their field just because that's, I mean, that's what they do. They make their living, or the company makes its money, whatever uh, that is, from their desktop. Uh, ad blocking software and that's a whole other interesting story if you guys want to get into that but it's not just um they don't get money from blocking ads it's it's from the analytics about who blocks ads and what they are is where they actually (laughs) make their money which they can't do on ios (laughs) yeah so they're kind of a ad network in a way yes essentially they're like an analytics network one of these big companies that like gets a bunch of crowdsourced data and and sells it to other people yeah so that that is making an assumption that he's going to keep his feed transformation thing up and running well he said it would keep working so well he might just have a he might not get updated anymore but it'll what's there will still work well i've got to imagine if i was uh if i was an imore.com or some you know, mobile website, I would be like, all right, how do I, how do I trick these ad blockers? And uh, how do I stay one step ahead of them? Make sure that my ads are still showing. Cause otherwise yeah. I don't get paid. Right. Like I feel bad for them cause they make content and they want to get paid, but maybe they've gone a little bit too far with, with their ads. And maybe they only had control over part of how far they've had to go. Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult world. Not everybody wants to spend the money for like a subscription to a website and not get ads. So, yeah, it's tough because people who want to put out content still need to be paid. But the people who want to read that content don't necessarily want to get paid. Well, and this to some degree hurts. It's Marco's own business ventures in between. Yeah, he's got his blog with the the deck ads on there. Either way, I mean, you know, podcasting networks, you know, Overcast is, you know, all about podcasts. And if podcasters can't get advertisers or make money from advertising, then podcasts go away. And then 
you know. Well, it, but podcasts wouldn't go away. This doesn't block them at all. Then actually, maybe more money would flow to the podcast. Potentially, because... better, more reliable source for advertising. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, your your stuff for your podcast advertising, I, I think, is all done by like the analytics on your feeds, which are not coming through Safari View Controller or Safari. So those are going to stay the same. Whereas like web web analytics stuff, the numbers will go down. Uh, just because all these people are blocking now. Uh, so p- part of it makes me wonder, and maybe I'm guessing this probably won't bear out this way, but you know, I have ads that are in an app that can't be blocked right now. So does that mean that my ads are going to be more valuable because they can get to less people just through the regular web? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, could be. It, it sounds like like cool for me, but I'm not counting on it. <laughs> It's really Apple's way of getting rid of apps that use Safari View Controller, like PhoneGap, and still have ads inside of them. Because well, then you I've got to imagine PhoneGap's not using Safari View Controller. Uh, no, probably not no, yet. No, I don't they think they probably stick with WK WebView. I don't even think they're there yet. I I think they're still on the old UI WebView. Oh. Well, but yeah, there's some problems with with. WK WebView for doing like local content and stuff that I think they've worked around a little bit, but yeah. So yeah, content blockers are pretty cool, huh? And I think it'll be interesting to see if people come up with other creative ways of using it. I mean, you don't have to just block content. I mean, you could style content within a page. I mean, you're basically just doing CSS rewrites in a way or adding CSS classes to existing content so you could do some interesting things with these content blockers yeah i watched the uh the session where they talked about it and the example they gave was you go to this website that's all about uh dog and cat pictures but (laughs) you don't care about dogs you just want to see the cute cat pictures so they came up with some css that could that did a regex that would determine if it was a dog or a cat picture because they they happen to be named like dog one dot png or cat one dot png, so it was a very simplistic example. Yeah. Um, but they also like had some examples like oh, they, there's all this crazy like check out some more stories from us, or I, which I guess you could call native advertising, or like uh, comments. You don't want to see the comments because people on the internet are always horrible. You can just you know CSS display none on the. The div with ID contents <laughs> or comments, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I think Peace uh, Marco Marco's content blocker actually had one to block comments, and then he also had one to block. He basically could block ads, comments, or uh, like I think tracking scripts or something like that. He called them, so you can block all the analytics engines. But but like even the the websites that don't have any like explicit ads they just provide like sponsorships and stuff the all the analytics stuff was getting blocked too so as far as the you know the advertisers know they're less people are going to their site so even they're getting affected if you don't have any ads yeah and that's a ios often is a big percentage of web traffic for a lot of these sites oh yeah it's very disproportionate uh when you compare it to like the actual usage like the ownership of the devices the 
the market share. I know the Android people tend to be like, oh, that doesn't matter, but a lot of people actually use their iOS devices compared to Android <laughs> devices for some reason. If we had picked a feature that was going to be the big feature for iOS 9, I don't know if I would have picked content blockers. <laughs> but in a way, you know, it's kind of like custom keyboards. But now there's really just like one keyboard that anybody talks about anymore, and that's the swipe keyboard. We'll probably see the same thing with content blockers over time. So one player will dominate. Yeah, it's it's funny too how people are like, oh, the world is ending because there's iOS content blockers. But I mean, ad blockers for your browsers have been around for like over a decade. So yeah. it's a problem that people have figured out how to cope with and deal with. It, it may be just be a little bit painful right now as it starts. Uh, anyways, though, let's not talk about that anymore. Um, one thing we talked about, I think, last week was that there is no no way to uh, actually test in the simulator the 3D touch that, that Apple... Uh, is adding to the new iPhones that are coming out that is uh, probably a day or two after you guys hear this podcast. Um, so some developers were kind of bummed about this and they actually um, added a way. I'm not sure how it works exactly, but there's an open source project to at least touch test the shortcut menu stuff. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but it's called like the SB shortcut menu simulator by DeskConnect. Uh, hmm. It's on GitHub, so you can try it out in your app if you want to test that set off, test that stuff out before you ship your iOS app with some cool shortcuts. So it's the shortcuts that would launch from that you could use from Springboard, right? Correct. Yeah. So I'm not sure how exactly they let you test that, but that's what it says it can do. Yeah, you don't see like a whole lot of plugins for the simulator ever. You'll, you'll see them for Xcode. Can... Yeah, so it's interesting. I'm looking at the actual thing and it says, um, looks like you check out the code and then you just do a make. So I'm guessing it like hooks into the simulator somehow. Hmm. You hook into the springboard uh, and inject some code in it maybe. And then you can, there's a way to, to test those things. So... There you go. If if you if you don't have the phone yet, you want to test out the shortcut menu stuff. There is a way. Um, who knows if it'll work once seven one comes out, or maybe Apple will give us a way in seven one. Who knows? But there you go. It was called what SB SB Shortcut Menu Simulator by Desk Connect. Okay. I, so we'll I, put links in the short notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. Sam seems intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did break down and order a phone. Nice. Yeah, I'm a sucker. It was a it was a long day at work trying to fix our iOS nine problem that we were thinking was Apple's fault and turned out to be our fault. Needless to say, we've talked to Sam about this uh, off the podcast. If you're gonna do extensions and objective c make sure you uh prefix your method names that's all he's gonna say right that's that comes down to it yeah either that or don't don't make something that's similar to an existing method call you know 
And that's impossible to tell. <laughs> so, have you guys uh, got Bitcode working in all of your apps now? Nope. It's the first thing I turn off whenever I have to use Xcode 7, at least for right now. What about you, Alex? So we've only got one app right now that we're working on officially in Xcode 7, and then I've got another one that, that I'm converting at the moment. So, so far, not too much trouble, but um, we're still very much in the dev cycle, so we're not, uh, not too far along there in terms of getting them converted. Yeah. Well, I, I started to uh, try to get like the latest versions of all the third-party code we had earlier this week so that we could uh, turn on Bitcode, and I'm glad I didn't complete it. Uh, although I did update most of our external libraries, which I guess is a good thing. Um, but it looks like that kind of Bitcode was kind of this really hand-wavy thing when they announced it. No one really knows exactly how all of it works. Uh, and it looks like one of the consequences of it, at least in the near-term future, is that there's not really a way for third-party crash reporters to work with Bitcode. Uh, and I guess that makes sense after thinking about how it works. You know, you basically build your app, you get some debug symbols, you give them to the crash reporter, uh, whether that's hockey or... Crashlytics or whomever, uh, and then, or even Apple, uh, and then that's how you figure out what your crashes are when they happen. But since the debug symbols don't fully exist until the app has been submitted to Apple, there's no way to get at that stuff unless you're Apple. Yeah. So in theory, test flight's going to become your Really only viable choice for crash logging unless they change this unless they provide yeah, some way of handling it and i've never even like used the the apple test flight crash tracking well it's still very much an opt-in policy so you know we have apps that you know through the apple's crash reporting still see no activity oh but yeah you'll see you might see a handful or in some cases more than a handful of crashes through something like Crashlytics, which is always on, you know, whether, you know, the users aren't given the option. I think Apple prefers the opt-in approach, but it means developers are in a lot of cases flying blind or just ignorant of crashes they may have. Is there a specific crash reporting in test flight itself? Or are you just talking about like the stuff from iTunes connect that you can get to that was in all, the old version of iTunes connect Two, where you see like the crashes by going to a specific apps page. I'm speaking to the what's in iTunes connect, which okay. doesn't necessarily have anything to do with test flight anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean the UI for that is horrible. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, like you said, it's, it's opt-in, so you don't necessarily even get all the crashes. Yeah. Oh, you, you certainly don't. Fan. Like I, I often say no, but I'm also like often working Alex, on, what? I'm often <laughs> working on dev of, you know, I'm on a test device and I'm working on dev. Alex, stuff. why would you say no? <laughs> 
You want people who are testing stuff to see the crash reports too, don't you? That's where it's most important. Well, that's our stuff. And we have our own crash we... loggers turned on, so I don't need them. Sam, do we need to have an intervention here? <laughs> I'm 50-50, I think. What? Oh. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm setting up a device, I feel charitable. Other times I think, you know, I just don't want it sucking up my bandwidth or something. I wish there was a way where I could only disable crash reports to apps that you two develop. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is horrible. Be kind to your fellow developers, guys. Come on. Give them crashes. Yeah, give them all the crashes that they can so they can fix their stuff. Well, it's hard to make your app better if you don't know what's going on. So yeah. Exactly. I I think I get this knee-jerk reaction that says, what else are these developers going to be getting about me? And I should know better. You should. A lot of, a lot of times it's also you're setting up a new device, a test device, and you want to get through that setup process as quickly as possible so you skip... Say no or skip as much as you can just to get through that setup process with the intent of maybe coming back later and, and setting up those bits. See, I can buy that a little bit more than than the than Sam's excuse. <laughs> I'm I'm my, disappointed in both of you guys. I'm constantly my, my paranoia. <laughs> I'm constantly resetting up devices too, so like you know, cleaning them and reinstalling to get a clean install i feel like but you should hit that question a bunch and you should be like yeah the answer is always yes let these awesome developers get their crashes yeah probably should all right speaking <laughs> of speaking of awesome developers uh we do have an app of the week this week and, and it's a good one not to say the others weren't <laughs> no no this this is a very professionally well done polished application uh for logging hours time spent on projects and activities and the app is called timed by marcello schroeder yeah this is he is out of australia i believe it's melbourne and i swear to you guys this looks like a whole team made this app but really i believe it's just him uh, his his company the, the company that the app is by is founded by him so i'm pretty sure he's just a solo developer but you wouldn't know it by looking at this app it's yeah the app is is pretty nice it's got some some really good kind of user experience uh stuff that it does like it, it really has nailed uh, how to handle ios permissions i don't know if you guys played around with it that much but like before it did anything that required a permission whether it's a push notification uh, to say, hey, I'm going to start logging or asking for your location. It would put up a pop-up first to say, hey, this is this awesome feature that we have, and this is why we all the stuff that we can do with it, here's why you should say okay when this uh, request for permissions pops up right after this. Uh, and So normally if I'm downloading any app, I'll just say no to all the permissions, kind of like you guys were talking about earlier, but uh, I mean... They gave a great explanation, and I tried it out, and uh, I've just been messing around. I don't have anything that I actually time right now, but if I was a consultant, this would be pretty cool. But, like, I've been timing by geofence when I come to my house, and so I've got a log of when I'm at my house now. I don't <laughs> know why I need it, but it's the UI to, to get it is really awesome. Yeah. I set that up on mine 
for my house too. And it now it buzzes me every, on my watch every time I come home. Yeah. I think you can turn off the, the vibrate alerts if you want to. Yeah, I'm sure. But. And then uh, it does have watch integration as well. So there's uh, a watch extension so you can access it on your wrist, which could be handy because we're talking about often timing you know, specific activities through the day that you're going to end up billing for later on or you want to make sure that you're for the amount of time you spend on an activity, um, you're getting paid appropriately. So you know, whether it's doing fixed bid and making sure you're on budget with your time or or you're billing by the hour, uh, can be very handy. And there are other apps on the market that do something similar, but this is this one's actually fairly uh, straightforward but full-featured. So you can get in, get started right away. Uh, some of the other apps require a lot of set up up front you know set up projects and clients and you know you're you've set up all this information before you even are able to start tracking with this app you can get in and start tracking right away which is nice yeah it's a very well done app the the price in the u.s store is 9.99 which is a bit steep for your normal app price but this is an app that is a productivity app and productivity apps tend to have higher prices because they're about saving you time and money. And if you're the type of guy that has to bill people and bill by project and you don't want to spend you know, hours at the end of the week trying to figure out how much time to bill X client and Y client and for which project, this is the perfect app for that. Yeah, and especially if you're working on multiple things during the day or during the week. It can be difficult to keep track of you know, yeah, what you've done, so. or you know, you might build differently for different activities. And this app actually has a nice feature where you can create custom reports and filter on different uh, different aspects of the project or our activity. So it's it's surprisingly uh, powerful reporting. Yeah, I've very happy with the app I kind of you know we always ask for promo codes for if it's a pay app and I actually feel a little bit guilty about getting a promo code for this one because it is such a great app so hopefully all of our listeners if you like this app you'll go out and buy it and make it worth Marcello's time and I hope I'm saying that right it could either be Marcello or Marcello but uh, yeah make it worth his while it's definitely a good app you check it out at least Uh, that's about all the time we have this week, guys. You want to tell us where we can find you on Twitter? You can find me at AJ Robinson. You can find me at Alex Argo. And I am at Sam Quarter. The podcast is at Shared Inst. And we have an email address. It's sharedinstancepodcast at gmail.com. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's spelled like it sounds. Uh, and as always, we do appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast and spread the word. So uh, thanks, guys, and thank you all of our listeners. And see you next time. Send in more apps for us to review, and we're still uh, open to 
Open letters from Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, definitely the le- the uh, apps. Um, don't really care about the letters anymore. That's old news. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah. All right. See you guys.